On this week's Behind the Idea, we're talking marijuana companies, specifically Canopy Growth Corporation. The marijuana industry looks much more legit than it did in 2012, but it's still new and it's still unclear how it's going to develop, which leaves us looking to other industries for guiding patterns. For example, biotech. Owing back to my experience reading a ton of biotech articles, I'm skeptical about deals and agreements, supply and agreements, or sort of linking up, publicizing the fact that you've found a customer. Or we can point to Bitcoin. But that's when you're dealing with Bitcoin and blockchain and T0, like you tell a story because there's nothing else to do. There's no business to really value yet. And so you have to be in the world of story. And when you're in the world of story, anything goes to some degree. There's plausibility is your only constraint. But there's some things about marijuana that are just going to be in the marijuana industry, like its endorsers. He basically is like a stand-in. He's like a human marijuana plant. Neither Mike nor I have any positions in any of the stocks named this week. None of this should be taken as investment advice, but we still have the question. Where does pot end up? And are shares just too high? Or is there value behind all this smoke? Well, the chain smoker, he called the stockbroker. Welcome to Behind the Idea, a show about investment analysis. I'm Mike Taylor. And I'm Daniel Carson. Today we're talking about marijuana stocks. The reefer, the chronic, the chiba, the tie stick, all that cool slang, you know. That's what people like to talk about when they talk about marijuana companies. All the cool, dope, herb, all that stuff. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to get into marijuana as an investment idea. So since 2012, recreational marijuana has become increasingly legal in the United States, especially on the state level, maybe only on the state level, only on the state level, only on the state level. And when a drug becomes legal, companies quickly flow to market to meet the demand. Many marijuana companies, some quite dubious, have come public since 2012. And it's been tough the entire time to decide, hey, is this like an authentic bull market or is this a bubble? A more recent surge in cannabis stocks has left many investors puzzled. On Seeking Alpha, author Jonathan Cooper rates canopy growth, an early industry leader, as a buy. Fellow author Biotech Beast, meanwhile, sounds a cautionary note about investing in the industry. The theme of today's episode is, will we ever stop making dumb, immature jokes about marijuana when we're talking about marijuana stocks? No, really. The theme of today's episode is, when does an industry become investable? So let's start right off with Jonathan Cooper's idea about Canopy Growth Corporation. Jonathan says that Canopy Growth is a best-in-class company in the marijuana space, primarily due to its first mover advantage and its advantage in supply agreements. So Daniel, what is Jonathan Cooper talking about here? So canopy, marijuana is about to become legal in Canada as a recreational drug. And 
as of right now, the only other place where it is legalized for adult use is Uruguay, which is a small country in South America. So Canada is a fairly big country and a fairly developed country. And so this is a fairly big opportunity. And that's where I think a lot of the excitement is coming. And specifically with the supply agreements, I believe they've signed 10 supply agreements in Canada to the different provinces. And Canada has provinces instead of states. And the provinces, I think, are more independent in the way they run their economy than U.S. states are. There's more sort of distinction between different different provinces and how they run their business. And so Canopy has secured supply agreements, which, as I understand it, essentially means they've locked down. This is going to be a regulated industry, and they've locked down that they're going to be providing the bud, providing the the marijuana into these different provinces. They've talked about 10 supply agreements. They've released the numbers on how many grams or kilograms they'll be supplying per year in eight of them. So yeah, it's it's sort of this, if you think about this as a regulated industry, and I think that's one of the challenges here is what sort of industry will marijuana be? When will it be investable? And also what sort of industry will it be? But if it's a regulated industry where you only have X number of suppliers, then being one of the key suppliers and the biggest supplier from day one would seem to be a first mover advantage. And so I think that's right. Okay. So, okay. The company, certainly the market sees that something is going on. I think the enterprise value of the company or the estimation are seeking alpha currently quotes the market cap at 10.8 billion dollars, which is huge for a company without meaningful profits. But not only is the stock market sort of very optimistic along with Jonathan here, but also Constellation Brands, which is a large beverage company, made a deal, some kind of deal with Canopy Growth. So what was what was the what's the Constellation investment in Canopy all about? And what should investors sort of take away from that, according to Jonathan? So Constellation, yeah, is a big brand distributor of alcohol. They are Corona is, I think, their best known brand, which your mileage may vary on what that signifies. But they're a proven entity. And one thing that's been interesting so far, I think there is a expectation that the tobacco companies would move faster to cannabis. But it looks so far like alcohol companies have actually been able to move into this space as a partner or investor or whatever else. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if there's any reason. Why would that be? Is it because, God, they distribute to the same places, presumably, or is it head shops? No, because they're just like the cigarettes go to convenience stores. It's sort of the same. So, so does beer. So it's like unclear which, why one would be better equipped than the other to sort of take this up. Maybe they're just more adventurous or have better experience dealing with geographical disparities in terms of distribution, whereas it feels like tobacco is more or less regulated the same way throughout the world, but alcohol is a little bit different. What do you think? My guess would be two things would be that potentially, or three maybe, potentially tobacco companies are gun shy because they've 
the regulatory pressures that tobacco companies have faced over the years has been more significant. And especially- Oh, interesting. So like, it's like when a tobacco company enters this market, everyone's like, oh, they're going to like poison you with marijuana. But when beverage company enters this market, they're like, oh yeah, Corona's fun. So is marijuana. Makes total sense. Cool. Like there's sort of a reputational advantage that beverage companies have or i would at least i'm piggybacking on you but i would buy that but you got two well, two more well and i didn't even i meant just that the comp like company executives themselves would be gun shy but i think your point actually is also pretty good and maybe more on the mark i would say also the tobacco companies have the vaping market which maybe is taking up their attention like maybe that's a different that that seems to be blowing up quite a bit and so potentially that's where more that's a more obvious vertical for tobacco companies to be looking at but and those then, aren't mutually exclusive i don't think you can vape cannabis oh but the just you're drawing the distinction between the leaves and the um and the vape vape stuff that little vial of liquid that you put in the pen i maybe should disclose here that i am as far from peter lynch fluent in either tobacco or uh, cannabis as possible. So I'm out of my depth to, I, I, I just think, I guess the vaping tobacco or vaping nicotine oriented products, tobacco oriented products is probably, I, I it might be a big enough, I'm just speculating, but it might be a big enough opportunity that they haven't moved. Whereas cannabis is still a less certain regulatory climate, especially in the US. And I think, I think yeah. Canada is obviously the big story right now, but this is still ultimately going to be a U.S. gets legalized play. And Jonathan, I think, alludes to that. Uh, I think he calls the U.S. a potential $90, $90 billion market. I don't know if that's in this article or if I read another article by him, but the U.S. is a societal trend seem to be going towards legalization. I'm... I just printed out my overseas ballot to vote in Michigan, and that's on the ballot this year, full legalization. It's only medical right now. And so you could see this continuing to play out over time. And so that's that's where it's still uncertain what's going on in the U.S. because federal versus state, there's some disconnect. And so maybe tobacco companies are less, they have vaping, which they can worry about instead of that. And then the third thing, that I would speculate as to why alcohol companies are moving faster is that the type pot smoking is more of a once a day recreational activity, I guess, or I'm not, whatever the frequency, it's more of an activity that I think is comparable to alcohol consumption potentially. Whereas cigarette smoking is more of a frequent, more of a compulsive uh, or addictive process and so maybe yeah. that's like a different skill set what do you think no you're yeah no i think you're right there is overlap between people who smoke marijuana and smoke cigarettes for sure but it's not they're not by any means coextensive markets a lot of people who smoke cigarettes i think prefer alcohol this is just my peter lynch uh okay. moment but there is a significant number of people who don't smoke marijuana, but do consume alcohol and smoke cigarettes because marijuana is just not legal or they're just not interested anymore. 
there, there are also people who are very health conscious hippies, basically, who smoke a lot of marijuana, but don't smoke cigarettes at all. So I think you're right. It's not. And and you're also correct that for a large portion of the market, marijuana is probably going to be more of a special occasion type of thing or a um, smoke responsibly type of thing. People will be social smokers and stuff, which is a lot more like alcohol than cigarettes, which are, you know, known to be addictive and habit forming and are for most people who consume cigarettes it's a daily or multiple times a day activity. So I think you're right in terms of maybe we would call that something like the, the brand experience or the brand positioning, kind of how the, the way in which the product is consumed. I think there is something to the idea that beverage companies are a little bit more close to marijuana. You want to have a good time. You have a beer or you want to have a good time. You'll smoke some marijuana. But God, I sound like such an adult. You will smoke some marijuana when you want to have a good time. That's like, dude, we're, this is an investment show. What do you want? But smoking cigarettes is like you take a break from work and you smoke a cigarette. It's not necessarily a special occasion in the way that drinking or um, marijuana might be for more like the average consumer. That's my, my Peter Lynch take. They're hippies and they don't smoke cigarettes because it's bad for you. So what's interesting to me about Constellation's investment is they're, they're putting $5 billion, I believe, more or less, into the company. They are, it's going to lead to massive dilution, which is so you've quoted a $10 billion market cap, but it's actually quite a bit higher when you factor in the eventual dilution whenever this, I don't know if the investment has closed or not, but uh, Jonathan does an incredible job of, and I, I like Jonathan's work because he does a good job growth investing, but it's, it's, it's thoughtful approach. And he gets an enterprise value of 15 billion us dollars based on five. He does the Canadian dollar math and then translate it at the end. But so anyway, there's a lot of dilution going on here. So you have enterprise value of 15 billion. The market cap is closer to 20 billion. And when he wrote his article, and I think the stock is more or less trading where it was, it's very close to where it was trading when he wrote this up. The stock more or less doubled after the Constellation deal. And I think that's all, I guess the story you can start to tell is that if the market, if we assume that marijuana is a relatively regulated market in a way that Alcohol really isn't in the U.S. In, in the U.S., alcohol, I think anybody, craft beer, you have a lot of small companies. There's not any, I don't think. It's hard, but not impossible. Yeah, it's hard, but not impossible to well, enter and there's, the beverage. There's some control as I think about, like I think about New Hampshire. I think you can only buy liquor from certain types of stores. And so there's some yeah. control, and but there's not control over who the vendors are. I, obviously, there's the FDA or there's whatever the regulatory part of it, it's a little different where as I, I saw it, <laughs> right. Well, there you go. ATF. That's right. The, I saw an idea at a value vest conference here in Spain that was on a Norwegian based alcohol supplier where they have like monopoly position in Nor Norway and the other Nordic countries that makes it really, you know, th their ability to sell liquor in those countries is not going to be challenged. And so, 
it's possible that marijuana resembles that sort of market. I mean, it looks like that Canada is exercising some control over who is allowed to supply on a mm-hmm. mat, on a meaningful scale. And so if the U.S. market eventually resembles that, and if it does become this race to gain market share and credibility, then putting a lot of money and I haven't looked at Constellation's balance sheet, but let's assume that they're a relatively well-capitalized company. They trade at a reasonable valuation. They pay a 1.4% dividend. Like they're doing, they have the money to invest. And if you can make a big bet on a company that could suck up a lot of market share early once, you know, in four to eight years, let's say when the U.S., if the U.S. were to legalize, that seems like a reasonable bet that could open up a big opportunity, even if the valuation at this point seems very hold your nose. I guess that's how I would spell out the long idea for both Constellation and for people buying in Constellation's wake. What do you think? It's hard for me to make a lot out of, this is owing back to my experience reading a ton of biotech articles. I'm skeptical about deals and agreements, supply and agreements, or sort of linking up, publicizing the fact that you've found a customer is something that that ties back to the supply agreement thing. But all of this is connected. And another thing I notice about Canopy Growth is that they've done a lot of acquisitions. They sort of discuss the M&A deals on the investor relations page of the website. The management team seems to be have a lot of experience buying and selling companies. And so when I see transactions that the market may be interpreting as a kind of landmark point in a company's evolution, I'm always skeptical of financing transactions really making a difference in a company that's a growth story because you're not generating demand or creating real world on the ground advantage through these transactions. So I think the market may have perceived some validation by Constellation Brands involvement. It's a Fortune 500 company. It's based in the US. Uh, It's big and experienced and reputable. Uh, But I feel like some of that shine could easily wear off. I don't know. Relative to end of 2017, 18 billion in total assets. That's Constellation Brands. So this stake is a fairly meaningful commitment for them. $5 billion or something like that. To me, that's a it's a high conviction bet if that's if that's more or less true. I mean, you need to dance around and figure it out, but you're in the ballpark of a seemingly big move. So maybe that's what the market's seeing. But to wrap up my take is more or less, this is a company that has agreements to supply marijuana and is building up the infrastructure to do that, done a massive financing transaction. And that's really where we're at in terms of what the accomplishments are. 
Meanwhile, the valuation, which I think is where we're heading next, is really high relative to any sort of traditional valuation metrics, unless you're going with addressable market. So I'm, I kind of read all this and I don't know if I'm, I'm getting a lot of information from any of these things, if I have my skeptical, skeptical kind of biotech hat on. Yeah, I think it's I think it's still a bit of a stab in the dark to value the company and to make an investment. Even to say that you're betting on the jockey or whatever else. I mean, this company has been around since 2014. It's not like it has decades of experience behind it that's going to prove an execution. They're doing a good job, but there's nothing that says that they will absolutely even 36% of the market based on the share of supply agreements they've signed is not some sort of all powerful position. And what I'm so curious about after reading this is I I love, first of all, Jonathan has a chart that talks about the enterprise value to Graham sold. I, and he has enterprise value to supply grams and enterprise value to produce grams. And, Interestingly, supply grams are much higher than produced grams. I guess that's probably because the supply agreements are forward-looking rather than, you know, produced grams are backwards-looking. But I love metrics that are sort of industry-specific that do the... It sort of goes back to the dot-com days of price per eyeballs or whatever you would say. But like in the hotel REIT industry, they have enterprise value per room key, which is number of rooms you have. I just like these sort of enterprise value per bed in the healthcare industry, the healthcare read industry. I love these sort of quirky, sometimes they're quite useful metrics. Sometimes they're quirky. I don't yet know what to make of it here. I guess it's similar to if you were to EV to ounce of gold in the ground for a gold company, a gold miner. Right. But that's, that sort of gets you, what sort of, what sort of advantages will you have in the in the pot industry like what will be what are going to be your enduring advantages that would justify a higher valuation right now canopy has a war chest they have cash to spend which is probably worth as much as the cash is they have the execution that they're going to try to put on the line and their supply agreements and their sort of first mover advantage to some degree in these different uh areas but what is your sustainable moat i guess i think of three potential sustainable moats that could justify any sort of above market valuation and i think they would be is this going to be a brand market is this going to be a market that believes in brands they talk in their presentation that jonathan links to they talk up brands tweed i don't remember the other brands off the top of my head but just these marijuana brands that would be number one. That would be one advantage. I mean, marijuana just definitely lends itself to branding. I feel like smokers get really interested in different strains. They get interested in the different active ingredients. Apparently, sativa has one kind of effect and indica has another kind of effect. There are different sort of flavors or smells of the marijuana and people associate these with different experiences and certainly marijuana consumers are sensitive to the different quality of product and you know 
people like West Coast marijuana a lot more than they like East Coast marijuana, for example, or, or at least that's a preference that I'm familiar with. So, but the but I think the conflict would be if this is such a tightly regulated I- industry. I guess it's a win-win. If you're the only, if you're a utility and you're just providing this to consumers as part of a regu- as a regulated entity, and others can't enter, then you're protected in that way. If you have a branding advantage by having the best sativa blueberry marijuana out there, again sounding like an adult. Then that's another source of advantage. So I could see both those angles playing out, but I think it's a little early to know. I think it's early to know. Well, and it's just we. So we talked about that with with Natural Beverage Corp with Fizz with Lacroix, and they're using their essences of fruit. I guess that's that's my question: is how much. Can you really get that brand resonance to lock down marijuana customers? And you're, you, what you're saying is, is, you know, yes. like maybe um, they are making a big play. I believe they have, if I'm reading it correctly, Snoop Dogg is a an investor in Canopy. I think. I'm, oh. I'm trying to, so that's. I don't know if he still has resonance with the kids, but with people our age. That yeah, be... that's a good point. We, yeah, Snoop Dogg is, was at the height of his powers in the mid to late 90s, I think. The, maybe the, yeah, the mid to late 90s. So that was 20 years ago at the, at the least. I'd, I would look, be looking at some newer rappers potentially. Although that guy does sort of talk about brand affinity. He basically is like a stand-in. He's like a human marijuana plant, basically. He's one of those guys, like Willie Nelson is another one of those. Bob Marley, obviously, uh, late Bob Marley. Several, you know, Cheech and Chong. There are stars who crop up every generation or so who come to embody marijuana in sort of a very visceral way and snoop dogg definitely is one of those people so credit to them for understanding that or credit to snoop dogg and canopy growth for understanding that about each other i guess well and that's i I pulled up a cbc canadian broadcasting corporation story that said canopy growth signed a partnership deal to hold the exclusive rights to use certain content and brands owned by snoop's company lbc holdings so they're definitely so again that that could be an advantage i guess production and being able to produce and distribute for a low cost can be an advantage and that's where in theory scale can matter yeah one of the one of the things biotech beast raised is you think of climates that you might want to grow weed cheaply in and canada doesn't usually come up on that list and so you think about the extra costs that might be in production for having to use a greenhouse and having to use heat and all this other stuff in Canada. And and if it's ultimately going to be a U.S. play, for example, I mean, yeah, you can we won't get into the NAFTA angle because who knows where that will be at the time that that weed is legal in the States. But whoa. <laughs> I didn't think about cross-border issues. 
but even if there weren't cross border issues, I don't, th- you know, wouldn't you want to be closer to your, closer to your customers in California or in New York or wherever the population centers in the U.S. And so I guess I'm just, I'm just trying to think of what would justify beyond excitement that, and we'll get into the 2014 parallel in a second, but beyond excitement that pot really does seem to be com- be on the verge of being a real industry and we have lots of articles and it doesn't it doesn't seem fake this time around the way it might have five or six years ago but it's still what is the advantage that canopy has besides brand recognition with investors like what do you, you so you've said that they might have branding potential what else do you think is there anything else that they might be able to sustain so that five years from now, when the industry is not just emerging, but actually growing in material, that canopy would still be standing near the top of the heap. Like what, what, what thing, what do you think about the market and how it might play out? Well, in addition to just like thinking about brands in terms of premium or whatever, I actually think that there are two additional and their interrelated source of advantage. And one is Constellation Brands. Beverage companies, in a way, beverage the beverage market's very similar to the prospective marijuana market in that it's theoretically very competitive, but regulations keep out some new entrants. And there are these behemoths who reach scale and attain scale advantages and also attain, I think, this is my point, marketing intelligence advantages and and have the capacity to advertise nationally to create sort of allegiances and affinities among consumer groups and to market to create brands that are particular to the needs preferences and eventually the sort of sense of identity that the different segments of their market had so to take just a simple example, you know, take the take Budweiser versus Bud Light, even, you know, they have very distinct marketing strategies. You know, Budweiser has the Clydesdales and sort of this all American, very historically bound sort of this is the beer that we've drank for generations and it's part of like what's really great about America is cracking open a Budweiser. But Bud Light has silly like dilly dilly commercials and is much less self-serious and much more sort of ebullient and poppy in its messaging. And all of that is born of a lot of time, money, and effort that's spent on understanding the preferences of the customer. And I think that if you're early to market in a big, potentially mass market, like marijuana, then you potentially have these informational and communication and branding advantages, not from branding as like a prestige kind of concept, but branding in terms of understanding the different market segments you're catering to and optimizing your positioning around that. And I think that so being early is an advantage in that sense, and also being allied with a company like Constellation Brands is an advantage because they're already in this space of trying to identify who the Corona drinker really is and then exploiting those senses of identity and brand allegiance 
to maximal ability. So you have you have a partner here who has substantial advantage in terms of the marketing of these kinds of recreational substances. So those are my two. It's like if you're early, then you can understand your customers better. And if you have a partner who's already really good at understanding customers, then that could be a leg up and a potentially sustainable one if you're able to crowd out other people and continue to capitalize on that advantage. Do you buy it? Well, it's interesting because you're, what you're saying essentially is that Constellation's investment is a self-fulfilling win to some degree. It's almost as if Constellation was a fairy godmother or something where they kind of stepped in and said, I've anointed you as the winner. Of course, Constellation isn't the biggest brand, you know, if Diageo, if Budweiser, Ambev, if some of these bigger companies got in, there's, you know, rumors that Coke might get involved with cannabinoid drinks, but. Yeah, I. Well, it's not it's not necessarily who's the best at that that would be the best partner it's who can apply their intelligence the best to your markets and so you know it's hard to say one way or another without really knowing each company very well whether coke would be a better partner for console or coke would be a better partner for canopy or afrio would be better off with in Bev or whatever it is. I I think the point I'm trying to make is that there's this is the first time that we've ever talked about anything like this, but there's sort of a strategic competency advantage that would be synergistic across these two partners. That is, uh, you have a company that's got a prospective scale advantage in a new market, and you have a company that's really great at market intelligence and segmentation. And those two things work together well from a sort of competitive and strategic standpoint, which is not normally how we think of partnerships as being effective, except maybe in when you have pharmaceutical developers uh, partnering with larger companies. And it's similar in the sense that, you know, they both are, the larger partner is better equipped to deal with regulation and deal with the, the marketing of the product. Whereas the, uh, younger company, in this case, uh, Constellation is better at the development or has, has the, has the edge at getting into the market first. Yeah, that's, I like that parallel. I like the, the sort of pharma versus small biotech parallel, because that's, that is an example where new markets emerge and where there's different competencies and different opportunities and ways to share risk and whatever else. So Jonathan's basically, he's bullish on the stock. And where does he kind of land? Look, I, I don't think, I haven't read all of his work. I don't think that this, his point is that this is the quality play. This is the, if you're looking for, it's not, he doesn't even say fair price. Because I think he calls it a speculative buy. He says there's plenty of, it's a volatile market. He, he's not putting, you know, he, he talks about ways to control diversification. His point, his takeaway is that this is the best executing, best capitalized company. What I would build from that is that even though it's on a relative valuation expensive, I guess what I'm I'm now pulling out from his point of, he calls a speculative buy. 
long time horizon. It's a great company at a rich price. And what I guess I would take from that is if you believe that the characteristics of this market involve a winner-take-all environment or one where a first-mover advantage is really significant, then a valuation that is high is less of a concern. If you think that it is a environment that's going to be very commoditized, where there's not much advantage for the suppliers or where the value is taken somewhere else in the supply chain or whatever else, then it becomes less palatable to pay for the most expensive company. Right. And and I guess, yeah, I guess that's really where it falls. I guess that's really the, what sort of market is this going to be and what would what would make you comfortable when you're investing? Right. So Canopy is best in show, but with a lot of caveats about what that means. And then our beast of caveats, the biotech beast. Tell us about the article, Daniel. What's going on with biotech beast? This has happened before. I think that's the main, main thing. Yeah, I think, look, I think it's, I, I wrote an article and I talked about NBEV, New Age Beverages, which just went up 400% in a week based on rumors that cannabinoid CBD infused beverages were, they were going to sell them or that Coke was going to buy them or something like that. And whenever something like that happens, you have to be sort of skeptical because it's not that the market is efficient. But the market usually doesn't leave 400% in value on the floor just and then just suddenly something changes without a big of Amarin exploded by that much. But that's because they had had good trial results and nobody really thought they would. And so, okay, that that was a really significant shift. The market didn't believe it was happening. Once it did, you reprice everything. And so when these big spikes happen, when a stock moves up, Tilray is the most obvious one. But Biotech Beast puts a chart right at the beginning that says Tilray up 257% since July. Cronus Group up 70%. Afria up 100%. Canopy up 100%. And Canopy's already the biggest one. And so that's a pretty... like. It yes, there was a significant. There have been a significant events, but that's a pretty big move. So it, so it logical that somebody would come in to throw water and say, "Calm down, hold on a sec." And so I think that's where the problem starts, or where the article starts. He hits valuation, talks about how the valuation is a little bit out of whack, and how there's a ton of dilution here. There's a ton of raising money and kind of shares management issuing shares, which. Again, you can justify if this is going to be a big land grab once legalization happens, you want to have capital to be able to grab that land. But from an investor at this stage, you're putting a lot of faith because the share you own is going to be actually two shares or, or, or half a share or a third of a share before long. And so that sort of thing is a problem. And then the two other things he mentioned, I already had mentioned his point about or the author's point about the fact that Canada is not the most obvious place to be the efficient growing capital of of pot. And so 
will this advantage be long lasting or will it turn out? But then also the author mentions the 2014, 2012 to 2014 bubble, which is based around the initial legalization of of pot and also based on the medical marijuana and all these kind of over-the-counter stocks. And it was really, there was a period of these just really sketchy over-the-counter stocks that would jump yeah, we were, 500%. Uh, we were there for that. I mean, these were like, we were both at Seeking Alpha at this time in 2014. And we were like reading a lot of article submissions about this when the interest came out. And these were companies that were trading on like the OTC's OTC. Like they built a like another counter on top of the counter to trade over these like they were point zero 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 one dollars and all this wild stuff and trading like super illiquid like trading once a month for several months and then someone starts they get a little bit of attention and they spike like a thousand percent. It really felt at that time like it was a lot sketchier than it is now. I feel like the industry has there are some leaders that seem to have some credibility but i'm re reminded of bitcoin or the biotech bubble or whatever that like we it happens so quickly and the enthusiasm sort of rushes in and you sit there skeptically in 2014 and then some of these companies go up huge and then they now they look expensive and then you're sitting skeptically in 2018 and they still look expensive and you're just never going to get in, which is fine maybe. But like, what do you think about this case that like the bubbles happen before and it's another bubble? Are we sure that that's what we're seeing here? Well, look, I, I don't think I think history rhymes if uh, or is the phrase if it doesn't repeat at least rhymes. Uh, and that previous time, I'm, I pulled up one ticker that was in that previous cycle. It was called Soul and Vibe Interactive. Ticker yeah. symbol S-O-U-L. <laughs> Soul and Vibe Interactive. <laughs> and it was, it at one point, I'm just reading the headlines. We had an article that said not worth $161 million. This was once worth $161 million. It now trades 0. 0.0001 cents a share, $61,000 market cap, which means crazy Ooh. dilution to be worth that much we had we published an article that by a fluke earned about a hundred times our average page views if i've got it right in my head which was because we were briefly showing our headlines on yahoo Fi or yahoo's main page not yahoo finance we used to have a syndication deal with yahoo finance but this, there was a period where we were actually sending it to Yahoo's main page and the article said something like medical marijuana, game over. And it wasn't about medical marijuana, the entity. It was about a company that called itself Medical Marijuana Inc. That was one of these sort of, you know, very well named to be sort of a pump and dump stock. And it attracted the wrong sort of audience. But like there was a lot of sort of wild, wild West interest it does feel like we're a little bit out of that because, and I guess the difference is, is that it, at least you're talking about a population of, I'm going to get in trouble with our Canadian colleagues, but Canada's population is what, 50 million more or less. And so now Canada, that's like a big population to be working with. And 36 um, million in okay, 2016. Okay. So yeah. So, sorry, guys. Uh, sorry. Eh? 
We thought there were more of you. It's good. It's a compliment. You know, we we just want to go get some pot, eh? We want to just, you know, have a coke after. <laughs> oh my god, you're going to... <laughs> cold, you're cold winter trouble. <laughs> cold winter god. night, eh? It's it's just it's a bit cold out there, and uh, sorry, I. That's fine. No, no. Okay, so, but the point is, <laughs> the point is that it does feel different. It does feel more legitimate. These are traded over on the main boards. There, they are companies that do earnings calls they're signing deals with credible companies this isn't just wild and crazy stuff but you know tesla is also can be crazily valued in the car industry so it's not like the value that doesn't justify the valuation but i think there's a difference in kind actually not just degree here in that there is some business model here we don't we have no idea how it's going to turn out and we're still placing large bets as to what the nature of this industry is going to be. But I do think, so I wouldn't invest in any of these companies for myself. I, I just, and there's that fear of missing out. And you look and you say, oh my gosh, if I just, you know, put some money in Canopy, it would have paid itself and then some in a month. But you, that's also, it can go the other way at some point rationality and profits and you've got to kind of focus on business models over time so i'm not saying that i think that these are good investments in any way but it does seem to me like we're at a point in the this isn't just going to fold up and go away we've got there are some fundamental stories that are going to unfold we're going to be able to justify some we're going to be able to value these companies probably pretty soon that's what i'm picking up from you like we're that's, that's right yeah we're not there yet but this is going to become a real business which was not didn't it was not obvious at all in 2014 or even if it was it wasn't obvious which of these companies were going to actually become legitimate many of them were kind of vaporware companies i want to stick with tesla really quick cuz i think it's interesting some of the parallels here with canopy some big M&A activity, some big financing deals, and also a focus on these kind of pro production metrics as opposed to demand metrics, you know, valuing the company according to how much it's sort of producing or its inventory levels or focusing on that Tesla with the amount of cars in production and hitting production goals and Canopy with these agreements and other things that are close to but not quite realized revenue or realized demand. Uh, I think it's interesting that across these two sort of very different markets, one EVs where there's clearly some sort of pioneering taking place in terms of a new technology and uh, a new frontier opening up in the legalization of marijuana, that there are these similar characteristics in terms of the market wants and needs to value these companies, but traditional metrics don't work. And then suddenly we're grasping around for other ones that may or may not actually be informative of long-term value. Yeah, I think that's really sharp because I think it's you're we're in that phase and we talked about this. I don't think we actually ever published our podcast on Overstock, but we talked about Overstock for we we refer to it in. With the, We're huge fans. We love Overstock it is, for its entertainment it's value. Top three entertainment value on the market. But shout, shout out to Quoth the Raven, by the way. Um, 
some big the, overstock commentator. But that's when you're dealing with Bitcoin and blockchain and T0, like you tell a story because there's nothing else to do. There's no business to really value yet. And so you have to be in the world of story. And when you're in the world of story, anything goes to some degree. There's plausibility is your only constraint. And so that's the sort of, I think that's what's interesting about the Tesla bear case that when people will make it is that, sure, you've got Musk is Musk and you've got all these other things going on. But at some point, demand is what will matter. And we'll see how that demand plays out. And so to some degree, we're in the the play rounds and we'll get to the serious games soon and i think that's a little bit here too like at this point 90 billion dollars in the u.s and everywhere in europe is going to legalize and we're just gonna the whole world seems to be your oyster but at some point it's going to become a game of actually building selling making profits delivering and at that point what are you left with and you know yeah. This happens all over the stock market, and sometimes it it works out. Like the companies like live up to it. You know, we're we're gonna be we're gonna be looking at one of the biggest stories of this example next week. I think with Amazon, we want to talk about, but it's still yeah. The, the it it I think that's where we are, and so I think Jonathan has told a good story about how this is a. Uh, best in class cannabis company and if you're interested in just holding a quality cannabis company and kind of not looking at it it's a speculative <laughs> buy but like I, I what i mean by that is like not free like if you're aware of volatility and you're aware that this is a speculative play then like fine and Look, i think it's but you buy it and you don't tell your parents and <laughs> keep it in a ziploc baggie and put it in your sock drawer in one of your socks and then, you know, maybe, you know, when just just take it on out the when weekends. you like, have a little fun. Yeah, on the weekends, maybe you you have your friends over and talk about it. Um, but but it's not something to, you know, get don't too serious about. about it. Yeah, no, so it's not polite. <laughs> OK, so, yeah, well, just one final thing from me is that, you know, if you're talking about a $90 billion market and you're talking about an enterprise value of $15 billion and that's just the US and you extrapolate a 30% market share and you go with a one times EV sales, which seems reasonable for a kind of industrial producer of consumer goods, you can get there pretty easily. You can get uh, headroom for the stock pretty easily. So I think that's interesting. But, but go ahead. But we're talking about something like five to ten years from now, and a lot of like contingencies in that. And I'm not, I'm not picking on you, but like even that, that that I think does a good job of illustrating. Seriously, you're not. There's not a ton of headroom here because you're. You've got to really <laughs> to get to that. You've got to really make some things really have to play. You've got to flop a really impressive hand right here. Okay. Well, it sounds like we're we're neutral at best on the bullish action in pot stocks, which is not surprising given that we like to see profits and cash flows. But maybe that's fine. I think it's been a fascinating trip the past 4 years to watch an industry go from 
the Wild West, frauds, vapor companies, shell companies, pump and dumps and promotions. And then from all of that wreckage of early investment have emerged some multi-billion dollar companies, whether they will stay multi-billion dollar companies is an open question. But the I think you hit it on the head that's like, there's the story has become incredible and there's starting to be evidence to support bull cases here. You and I don't think we're there yet, but it's going to be interesting to watch as some of these companies turn into, you know, potentially some pretty boring industrial producers over the next decades. Well, and that's, and yeah, and that makes it sound like adults one more time. And the last thing I might say is just that, you know, with Tesla, for example, a lot of people will conflate short Tesla with being against electric cars or being against fighting climate change or being against all these good things that electric cars might represent. And I don't want to, there's, there's some other problems with that paradigm anyways, but owning a stock is not, you don't cheer for the stock, right? You're, you're making a investing decision based on some expectation of future value, or you should be in our, in my view. And I think that's how you look at it. And so I think it's, you know, I'm pro legalization and I think that it's an interesting market to study. And I think it will be re- I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but then in preparing for this podcast, like I'm really curious how this plays out and I wish these companies well, but that doesn't saying that that their stock seems really overvalued is not a, I'm not trying to shame the company or even investors. Like it's just an opinion based on where it is right now, but I'm hopeful. Like I'm, I'm very curious about what happens. And I guess that sometimes we have a hard time in discussions about the market, investors have a hard time separating those two things, opinion on value and opinion on company. I think I know a couple of marijuana sellers out in Portland. It would be cool if we could get one of them on on the line. In my time on the West Coast, I know some people who are, have some industry experience. So let's see. I think I agree with you. I think that this is something to dive into more and that the story is probably going to evolve quickly. Yeah. Yeah, we, we let's let's do it. Let's let's uh, dig deep. Okay, I think we got this one, Daniel. I th- we've managed to end it without telling bad, terrible jokes. So yeah, I think that's a good quit while we're ahead. Knock knock. Just kidding. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye, Mike. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We had fun with this episode and hope you did too. Email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com with feedback, suggestions, requests, or anything else. Next week's episode is going to be in response to a reader request, so we're always happy to do more of that. We're also going to be following up on some of our September podcasts with interviews, so if you have suggestions, get in touch. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And if you can leave a review wherever you have the chance, we really appreciate it. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Behind the Idea.